0: Welcome to the 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill, and while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 24. Well, it is always exciting when we finish another book of the Bible. On this podcast specifically, we've been through Exodus, first and second Samuel. We're looking forward to finishing this story today. David, a young man that God picked out of obscurity. He was so unimportant, even in his own family, that when the prophet came to anoint him as king, he said to David's father, Jesse, get all your sons. One of them will be the next king. And so Jesse got all of his sons, except David. David was so insignificant in his own family that his father didn't even think to grab him. And the prophet Samuel went through all of the young men and looked at him, and God said, nope, not him, not them, nope, not him, nope. And he turns to Jesse, Samuel says, do you have any other kids? Like, are these all of your kids? Maybe there's one traveling, maybe there's one who's in another part of the country. And they said, well, David's out in the back with the sheep, we just didn't think he was that important. And God brought him to a place of prominence in the nation. And that it wasn't all, you know, sunshine and roses. He was hunted for crimes he did not commit. You see, Saul, the king, had turned his back on God. And God had given him over to sin and uh, given him over to uh, paranoia and, and jealousy. And he was trying to kill David. And David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul. And he said, I'm not going to do that. That's the Lord's business. And the Lord did have Saul killed. And David was made king. And this second book of Samuel is the story of David's reign and things are going good until, of course, one night he is not at war when he should be. He's not out fighting when he should be. And he sees this woman Bathsheba bathing and he calls her to the palace and he forces her to sleep with him. And he has her husband murdered to cover up his crimes. And this compounding with other things that he had done over the years, brought about civil war within his own family and, by extension, the whole country. And the last several chapters, to close the book, David has been helping to put the kingdom back together. But old wounds have come to the surface. And in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he incited them, or sorry, he incited David against them saying, go and take a sentence of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab and the army commanders with him, go throughout the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and enroll the fighting men so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied to the king, may the Lord your God multiply the troops a hundred times over and may the eyes of the Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king want to do such a thing? The king's word, however, overruled Joab and the army commanders, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Why is Joab pushing back? Wouldn't the commander of the army want to know how many men he has at his disposal? Remember that it says the anger of the Lord incited David. And what did I say just a minute ago? God had given over the previous king, Saul, to sin. He says, hey, that's what you want? That's what you want to do? Fine, I'm going to let you do that. We, we say, oh, you know, God, I want this. Can you just answer my prayer? Sometimes the most merciful thing that God can do is not answer our prayer. Sometimes the most merciful thing God can do is not give us the desires of our heart. Sometimes the most merciful thing God can do is to say no. It was in David's heart. It was in David's heart to count the men. It was in David's heart to see, you know, he's he's had the kingdom almost taken away from him. He now knows what it is to lose something. And he wants to know what it is he has. and He wants to have control. I mean, now, admittedly, I'm speculating here. Uh, We don't fully know what was going on, but we know it was in his heart to do this thing. And God says, fine, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you over to do this thing. Israel, Israel was sinning against the Lord. It was Israel that was doing wrong. David had his own personal sin, but collectively as a nation, there was sin in the camp. So God said to the king, fine, I'm, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. And so David goes about ordering his men to do this thing. And Joab says, why are you doing this thing? We've just gotten things settled down. Things are back in, in a good place. And now you want to do this thing that everyone will know is against the direct command of God because God had said, do not take a census. God had said, don't count the people. There were things that the people of Israel were specifically not to do that was common practice for all nations, including to this present day. You count how many people you have. God said, don't do that. The kings would amass chariots and horses for themselves. God said, don't do that. The kings would take wives and concubines for themselves, God said, don't do that. And yet, what had David done? David had taken the wives and the concubines for himself, and now he was going to count the troops. Why do you count the troops? So you can know how many chariots and horses you need to amass. Again, that's speculation, but I think it's reasonable. We might get away with something. And God, in his mercy, lets us gives us a chance to turn back and then we go the next step and the next step and finally God says, no more. Also, sometimes we might be horrified at something. Joab was horrified that the king would think about taking a census, counting the men. That was forbidden. He wasn't horrified that the king took multiple wives for himself. He wasn't horrified that the king took concubines for himself. He wasn't horrified that the king broke the law of God. There, he was horrified that the king wanted to count. In our day, there are people who are horrified at the sins of the world around us, or they are horrified at the sins that some, even Christians, are okay with. But they weren't horrified about the sins that came before it. And the world turns it around on us. I saw a thing. Just this morning, I saw a thing just this morning where Christians were protesting and they were, church groups had come together in this city in another part of the country and they were protesting and the message was protect our kids, save our kids. And the commentator who I saw, who is a atheist, does not believe in religion of any kind, said, where were you when the priests were messing with kids? to the Catholics. And had he known, maybe he would have said to the Protestants, where were you when the youth pastors were messing with the kids? Because we hear report after report after report. Where were you keeping the kids safe? There has been sin tolerated in the church, but now we're horrified about this new sin. There has been sin tolerated in the church but now it's like, oh my goodness, can you believe it? I, I know somebody who was abused by a youth pastor. And they were a victim. And the youth pastor skipped town, left the state, ran away. And they called the pastor of the new church that that guy had gone to. And they said, we need to tell you about some things. And the pastor said, we got this covered, don't worry. And he hung up on him. They tolerated that sin. That church where that youth pastor ran to tolerated that sin. Oh, he was just a young guy. He got a little, he got, he shouldn't have done that, but you know what, boys will be boys. How many, how many churches have tolerated young couples, heterosexual couples living together outside of marriage? But then A church down the road tolerates same-sex couples and they go, oh my goodness, how can you, how can you abandon biblical morality? And the church down the road turns back and says, where have you been for protecting children? Where have you been on heterosexual sin? You seem pretty quiet there. And they're not 100% wrong. Joab's turning to the king and saying, what are you doing? what are you doing? And somebody else could turn to Joab and says, why do you care now? Joab's a murderer. We just read about that the other week. Joab is a murderer. Joab aided and abetted as the king covered up his sin with Bathsheba. Joab never said a thing when the king was amassing wives to himself in the wilderness. And when he got into Jerusalem, even more so. And yet they did the thing. So the king's word overruled Joab and the army commander, so they left the presence of the king to enroll the fighting men of Israel. Now, after crossing the Jordan, they camped near Aror, south of the town in the gorge, and they went through Gad and on to Jazir. And as they went to, they left Gilead and were to the region of Tahim-Hodshi and on to Danjan and around to Sidon. And then they were towards the fortress of Tyre and all the towns of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And finally, they went to Beersheba in the Negev of Judah. And after they had gone through the entire land. And, and if you are familiar with a map of Israel, you're, you're, they're describing a trip north, south, east, west. They hit all of the big points. After they had gone through the land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. And Joab reported the number of fighting men to the king In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword, and in Judah, there were 500,000. That's interesting. That gives a number, uh, an idea of things. First of all, that they divided it between Israel and Judah is interesting. As I said previously, the, the fault lines for the coming division and the breakdown of the kingdom have already been laid by the sin of David. It's also interesting you see how dominant a force Judah had become in the nation uh, that it dwarfed others. The way that California or New York or Texas dwarf other states in our own country. The rest of the country had 800,000 fighting men, but Judah had 500,000. So they're outnumbered by everybody else, but not by a lot. It's pretty close. One tribe is, is almost equal to the rest of the country. And you might say, well... Good, they know that now. Why did God forbid this? doesn't seem like such a big deal. Verse 10, David was conscious stricken after he counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. And David got up the next morning and the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, there shall come on you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing your enemies while they pursue, pursue you, or three days of plague in your land. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. So apparently Gad, this prophet, was sort of the official, like, I don't know how that was there like a a thing. Nathan was the prophet who spoke to David in the early days of his reign, but many years have gone by. Maybe Nathan's passed away and Gad's the new guy. I don't know how they decide on that, but apparently he was the guy. It was like, if he's showing up, you know, God's speaking to you. he says, you have these three options. You got three years of famine, three months of war, or three days of plague. You make the decision. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel that morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. And when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel, afflicting the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. And the angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of the Jebusite. And when David saw the angel was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I have sinned. I, the shepherd, have done wrong, but these are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall on me and my family. This is not usual. We're not reading something that happens often in the scripture. But apparently, there was an angel that was at least visible to David who was killing people, striking them down. And David goes before God and says, I'm the one who sinned. I'm the one who did wrong. Now, the scripture tells us at the beginning of this chapter that that's not the case, that there was sin throughout Israel. Israel, the northern tribes, had rebelled against the king and it sided against Absalom. Judah, the southern tribes, I'm sure, had sinned too. It would not surprise me if there was idolatry that was hidden. It wasn't hard for Israel to make the switch when they broke away from the southern kingdom to idolatry just a few generations later. There was things going on. Now, stuff will happen in our day, and people will say, is that judgment from God? Is God judging America for this or that? I've never seen something happen where I would say, yes, that is judgment from God. Um, I I asked... Uh, a pastor that I greatly respect that question years ago. What do you say when somebody says this? He says, well, if it's judgment, it's not very clear that it's judgment. David saw this angel striking the people down. We don't know exactly what's going on there. Maybe God gave him insight supernaturally into what was going on. Maybe everybody could see the angel. We're unclear. But David goes and pleads before God. In the same way, Jesus goes before the Father and says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the shepherd. And I paid the price. I paid the price for these people. And you and I, we may fall short. We may sin. We may come to places where we say, oh, I should not be here. You know, when David heard the official count, something within him convicted him and triggered within him this response of, oh my goodness, what have I done? And he doesn't waste any time. He, he prays to God, what, what should I do to be forgiven? And there have been moments in my life where, you know, you do something, you go, oh my goodness, what did I just do? Why did I do that? That was a mistake. And Jesus goes on our behalf. And he says, I paid the price for them. I'm the shepherd. These are the sheep, and they've been bought with my blood. And on that day, Gad, the prophet, went to David and said to him, go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aranha, the Jebusite. Go where the angel is striking down people. Go where it's happening. And so David went up, as the Lord commanded through Gad, And when Arahan looked up and saw the king and his officials coming towards them, he went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Arahan said, Why is my lord the king come to his servant? And he said, To buy your threshing floor, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. If I had to guess, there was some sort of plague or pestilence going through the land. And it hadn't touched Jerusalem yet. But it had come there, and David in a vision saw a spiritual connection to what was happening. I recognize, given the times that we are living in, the implications of what I just said, and I don't want to go there. I'd be very happy to have a conversation over coffee or whatever, in person or on Zoom, with anybody who gets what I'm saying there, but I don't want to go there on this podcast. But Aranha says, uh, you know, why are you, why are you here? And he says, I've come to buy the field. And then Aranha says to David, Let my lord the king take whatever he wishes to offer up. Here are the oxen for burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and ox yokes for wood. Your majesty, Aranha gives to the king. And Aranha also said to him, May the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to him, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. And David built an altar to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship sacrifices. And then the Lord answered his prayers on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. Interesting. Now, why does the book end there? It seems an odd place for it to end. Well, the book of 1 Kings actually ends the story of David, um, and it has this whole thing about David's last days and making Solomon the king and all this stuff. But 2 Samuel ends with David trying to make things right. He's trying to make things right. He has messed up, and he has messed up good. It, 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 it's simple as that. 2 Samuel is the story of David's reign. And David, the king, you know, Saul dies. David becomes king. He sets up his kingdom, and, and there's problems in it. He doesn't deal with the sins of Joab, his official. He doesn't deal with the sins of, of uh, you know, Absalom or his, his other son, Anner. He doesn't deal with things that are going on in the land. It's, it's not unreasonable to think that maybe there were things going on in the land that the king didn't deal with, and that's why God's anger was burning against uh, the, you know, the kingdom and, and all that stuff. So David is, is dealing with all of these things. He's trying to make things right. And that's where the story ends, is a story of trying to make things right, a story of repentance, of sacrifice, and redemption. And you and I can't make things right on our own. Oh, We can turn from our sins. We can say we're sorry. We can say, you know what, it's time. There's something to change. But the truth is that only Jesus truly removes sin from our lives. And as we turn to him, David is just a picture of him. Because in reality, Jesus has gone before the Father. And Jesus has made a way of salvation and restoration for all people, all who would believe. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. Video versions are available on our YouTube page and our Facebook. I just ask that you like and subscribe. It really does help us out and we appreciate it. We'll see you Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. both online and in person for Sunday morning services together and small groups throughout the week.